Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come into your glorious presence now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of a firm foundation in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that even as we see the season that we are in globally, we thank you, Lord, that there is a firm foundation, a foundation that we can trust, a foundation that we can rely upon. We thank you, God, that you are with us, that you surround us. And Lord, I pray for each person here in our dear family, that Lord, you will let them know the reality of that firm foundation. And that foundation we declare is Jesus Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the Good Shepherd. You are the way, you are the life. You are the one that comes and declares the glory of God. When we behold Jesus, we see God. Thank you, Lord. Help us to live in a revelation of hope. Help us, Lord, to, to be full of faith. Help us, Lord, to believe. And Lord, we pray right now for conflicts around the world. We pray for Israel. And we pray for the conflict there in Gaza. We pray as the nations seem to gather, as we seem to feel a shift in the seasons. We pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon us. Come, Lord Jesus, in revival around this globe. Come, Lord Jesus, and let peace be declared over your land. Peace be declared over the people of Gaza. Peace to be declared over the people of Israel. We pray, Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Let your glory be shown. Let your glory. We thank you, Lord, that one day, one day, you will return to the Mount of Olives. We thank you that one day there will be a new Jerusalem. We thank you, Lord that we have been shown the season. No man knows the time, but we thank you that we have a sense of the season. And the season at this time calls us, Lord, as a church to pray, calls us church as a church to persevere, to lift the standard high. And we pray for Kelowna and we pray, Lord, that this city will experience salvation after salvation after salvation, that many churches will see people come into Christ and that God, that Lord, here at Willow Park, through Fall Festival, through Living Nativity, through the Christmas services, through 21 days of prayer, we ask Lord Jesus, release your glory and draw many unto your love, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Amen. Good morning. 
Welcome to Willow Park Church. I'm delighted that you've come this morning. And if you're brand new, I am so happy that you're here. I'm Pastor Phil. I'm the strange guy that was stood at there saying hello to you. And you're wondering, who is that guy? Uh, well, that's me. Not just a friendly guy. Well, I'm that as well, but I'm pastor. And of course, I'm now one year older. So thank you for your, uh, for your kindness. Just love uh, Thank you. Happy birthday to me. It is my birthday. And tonight I'm going to eat Chinese food. So that's my treat. Chinese food. We are going to eat it. And uh, Michelle said, what do you want to do? Well, I was out every night last week. I know I shouldn't do that, but we were from Sunday all the way through to Friday. And um, I was absolutely exhausted. I said, well, really what I'd just like to do is get all the kids together and we'll have Chinese food. So that's what we're doing. And uh, that's what I think you all should do. Um, Celebrating my party. So I'll give you permission. Just go. Just have Chinese food tonight. Can you imagine if we all did? Just, um, you're, you're not, no, you're not coming to my place. No chance. It's a closed party. <laughs> Love you. But um, no, honestly, uh, what a blessing. I know I'm not the only one born on October the 22nd. There are three others in the congregation at this moment who we are the 22 gang. So uh, October the 22, um, and I'm just thinking, am I the youngest amongst us? I think I am. One is 70, one is definitely over 80. I should be quiet at this point um, before I insult people. But if you are here for the first time, thank you. And uh, we love our church. We love our mission. We love our calling into the community. We love to pray and, uh, and continue despite the changing shifts of society, despite the... the um, ongoing uh, ripples of COVID-19, despite the growing members of the faith community that have become don'ts. I don't go to church, uh, and yet I love Jesus and I believe in God. We're seeing a shift in culture. Uh, Honestly, we do believe in the gathering of the saints, and we believe in the glory of singing together and joining with heaven and worship. So it's nice to have Luke back. And uh, he's working for MCC in his big posh job that he does now for MCC as, as, as national, is he, is he here? As national something, marketing director, great ruler of the empire. Um, so he's doing that. And he got, he got to go on a business trip, which he never got to do when he did his two years apprenticeship here. He got to go on a business trip to... Winnipeg. Uh, love it. Love it. Come on. Ah, oh, nothing better than Winnipeg. And some of you have been there on your holidays, and, and most of us come from there. So, the source and the course of temptation. We've been doing James chapter 1, pretty much verse by verse, and we're at verse 13 through to 15. And been unpacking, what we have learned is this, is that we will face trials and troubles. 
The world is creaking. The world is dying. We're in problems. We face problems and difficulties within our lives. And we've discovered that, that James, as the pastor of these people, this desperate group of people spread right the way through uh, the Holy Land and towards the north, towards Syria. They were the diaspora. They were the dispersed. They were the ones who have no status and no position within society. This is the first wave of Christian refugees sent out after the persecution of Stephen. They are scattered. They are poor. They are battling. And their pastor is writing to them and encouraging them to, to count it all joy when you face trials. Why? Because when you face trials, it is there that God molds you and shapes you and turns you into the person that God desires you to be. You are forged into a perfect shape of the Lord as you are being shaped. Within this, we should ask for wisdom. Because it is wisdom of God within the painful circumstances of our life that we seek. And that God wants to give wisdom generously. He wants to pour it out in our lives. He wants to come to us. And so often we use human wisdom, human knowledge, rather than God's wisdom and God's knowledge. And that's where prayer comes in. That's where listening comes in. That's where discernment comes in. That's where we as individuals learn to be in the presence of the Lord and look for a higher knowledge, a knowledge to guide us. A knowledge to lead us, my dear friends. A knowledge that will shape us and show us the way. As in Hebrew tradition, within the writings of the Hebrew way, it was that wisdom that would guide us for daily living and living correctly and living in the right way. So we are called in this world of being seeking this wisdom and understanding and then understanding that God is with us. And there we should not see ourselves as low. It goes on here that so often we despise ourselves. We, we, it's hard in society. We feel out of sync. We feel culturally adrift. We wonder how we're going to go. We feel like that. But James says, do not think about yourself as lowly. Think of yourself in your position, that you are high, that you and I are children of the living God. He's saying to them, even though society looks at you as perhaps nothing, know that when you are a child of God in the kingdom of God, you have been lifted up and you are something. You are an heir. You are beloved. You are God's favorite. You are one who God loves immensely. So do not let your mind continue to be consumed by, uh, by lowly thoughts, but realize that you can reverse the great order, that he who is rich, you know, is really low and should humble himself, but he who is poor and low should be exalted because understanding that you are special in the sight of the Lord. What an encouragement he is. How is he... Is, Helping them to navigate culture. He's helping them to deal with problems. And then he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. 
But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth to death. What is the source of temptation? And what creates this temptation that takes place? Of course, what he's actually talking about is the source and the cause of temptation. And instantly, there's this battle that is taking place. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why on earth would this verse even be here? Why would any imagine, any person imagine that with a perfect, glorious, holy God that does everything towards holiness and righteousness, why would a person in this church situation say, God tempted me? Why would he say that? It'd be like, you imagine it even today. You know, I, I, I was tempted to step into that sin, or to do that action, or to be involved in that, but actually, God tempted me. God did it. God tempted me at that moment. That feels to us pretty strange. If somebody came into my office and said, I've been battling with X, Y, and Z, but really the problem is God, because God has been tempting me. I'd go, hmm, well, that doesn't sound right, does it? God doesn't tempt you. So why would a pastor... Why would a bishop, why would James, the brother of Jesus, write this? Well, it's very simple. The whole of culture and the ancient world was dominated by ancient gods. The Greek gods, the Roman gods, the Egyptian gods. And it's well documented if you've read Homer and you've read uh, Plato and you've read the talk about the gods and, and the belief in the gods and you've read the histories of Hercules and so on and, 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 and all of the great epics of, of Greek literature which is so much uh, based in, still in our culture and in the way that we think the gods would interfere with human beings and they would tempt them to do certain things and, and they would find themselves in compromising situations or making choices because the gods were meddling and playing with humanity. Whether it's a Greek gods like Eros, whether there is uh, the Egyptian gods like Sat, whether there is the Hindu God, like Krishna, uh, all of these gods in different areas, the Norse gods like Loki, uh, who has been made famous now through the Marvel films and so on, we understand that in the ancient arena, in ancient world, gods would come and entice you to do things that you should not do. Or entice you to go a certain way. Entice you towards excessive alcohol and drinking and partying. The God Dionysus, the God of party, the God of drink, the God of eros, the God of sexual pleasure, etc. The God Venus, they would come in to your, your world, and when you had given into this, often in the ancient world they would say, Well, it was the gods that must have meddled with me. I didn't expect to do that, but the gods took hold of me and meddled with me, and that's why I did this. 
But in some way, it's no different in today's culture, is it? Oh, it's because of this circumstances and I found myself in this position. Oh, it's because of this. We can so easily step in because of and blame this God, blame that God, blame this circumstance, blame this problem, blame this experience, blame, blame, blame. And in the ancient world, they would blame everybody on the gods. So the pastor says, hey, listen to me. Don't say I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. What is James saying? He's saying... Get a hold of your life. Get a hold of your mind. You are in control. And you needn't be controlled by temptation. It's not this. It's not that. It's not even the devil. It's this. You've got to realize that we are in a world that is broken and sinful. And we have to choose to live a right way or we choose to live a wrong way. The choice is up to us with God's help, with God's strength. And so with evil, he said, it tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured. So we can blame. But of course, the great prayer, of course, in the scripture is, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Meaning... Don't allow me to be led into temptation, but protect me when temptation comes. That God surround me, protect me, be with me, help me. And that's the prayer we should pray. That's the prayer of how Jesus approached this. Help me, lead me, guide me, be with me. So the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. This is the oldest thing. That, that Adam, when he sinned, who did he blame? He blamed Eve. And where did Eve blame? Eve blamed the serpent. But basically blaming God as well. They all kind of went, it's not me, it's him. My husband, it's this, it's that, it's that. And it comes and the blame goes, we blame circumstances. We blame our disposition. I am just that way. We blame our disposition. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And lead us not into temptation. Don't allow us to come under the sway of temptation that will overpower us and cause us to sin. Think about this. Think about the whole idea that actually we pray, Lord, don't let me come under the sway, under the influence of temptation. You know, it's not that you bring it, it's that I do not want to be overpowered by sin. And sin's a serious thing. And we don't want to be overpowered by sin. We don't want to allow this. 
No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is a choice. There is a way. We have to choose. We have to make that decision. There is a way of escape that can take place within our lives. Scripture teaches us. It's a source of temptation, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his desire. A really interesting phrase, the way that this is put together. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. The way the the verse is constructed, it's talking about that each person can be, each one of us individually can find ourselves, first of all, captured by an idea. We first, we become captured by an idea. And secondly, we become lured into the action and, and starting to go that way. And, and what James is saying to us, be aware now, that this was, you know, he's drawing upon ancient uh, proverbs where it talks about the idea that you can catch a fish with a net, but also a bird with a snare. And that what What temptation comes to do, it comes to capture you in a net, if you like, and it comes to ensnare you and to grab you and to hold you and to cause you to do things that you do not want to do. Think the way that you do not want to think. Act the way that you should not act. And it comes as a temptation in so many different ways. But the interesting word is in the Greek is lure. Literally that it looks so enticing, so good, that you cannot resist at that moment of going for it. Now, you know what that's like as fishermen here. I am a little bit of a fisherman. I'll say that a little bit. I've, I've, you know, I've got my favorite lures. And I bring them out. And this is exactly the same word. I bring out a... Pastor Curtis, he loves his lures. He's got them. You all got your lures. And you take it a nice, what are they? Nice, shiny, spotty, diamond lure. This always works. It's almost like magical, isn't it? You put it on the end and you turn it out and you're having a good day because of your lure. And you're pulling it in and, oh, get your fish it's great. And then when you lose that lure, you're like, no, that's like, oh, that's like given from the gods. I actually catch fish. Can't you do it? Because you, it's exactly the same. The word lure in the Greek is actually used in some uh, great Roman poetry 150 years after this where a poet describes hunting and fishing and uses the exact same phraseology within the construct of that work because what happens is something comes in front of you it looks amazing it looks enticing it looks I feel drawn to it I'm already captured in my thought life and then I know it's not right but it brings me and then suddenly it's got me And I'm being reeled in. 
I'm being brought in at that moment. And what James is saying is, really, you can take control over your thoughts. You can take control when temptation comes. And do not allow it to capture you, to lure you in, and to bring you down. But each person is tempted. And when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, James could not be more explicit. The source of temptation is not God or even the devil, but man's own sinful heart. And the place where we have to start in our transformation is we have to start in our heart. We have to start within our lives. We have to start within the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we mold ourselves, the way that we make a choice, the way that we understand and decide, this is sin, therefore I am willing not to get captured and lured by it, I am willing to transform my thinking, I'm willing to transform my mind, I'm willing to be different, I do not want to step into this. Because we know that when it's conceived, it then gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. James is using an illustration in this scripture of something that should be beautiful. We conceive, and we become pregnant. We give birth to a beautiful child, and this child is life. Who doesn't love a baby? Love babies. I love it. Even when babies cry in the middle of my sermon, I just don't care. I want this church to be packed with babies. So um, please get on with it. But um, I love it. I love babies. I love them. They're amazing. I, you know, I, when I hear babies crying in church, it's not like, oh, please take this baby out, please. I'm so holy, I can't preach with the baby muttering. No, babies are awesome, awesome. It's a sign of God's blessing, and it's lovely, lovely, lovely. What am I talking, preaching about babies for? Because of con we conceive something that is of life and something that grows and something that is good, right? And what James is saying is, when sin comes and tempts us, we conceive something but actually, and we give birth to the action, the sin, but we know that that action, if we keep doing it, results in the death of us. The death of our heart, the death of our character, the death of our nature, the death of us. It's a, he's using a reverse process. He's using an illustration of life to death to make them sit up and think, if I keep <clears throat> doing these things, and if one keeps acting this way, and I keep thinking this way, and I keep being this way, and I keep allowing myself, let's say, full of anger, full of resentment, full of lust, full of jealousy, full of insecurity, full of people-pleasing, full of pain, full of um, whatever you may name in your life, the Bible's full of these lists. If I allow this to grab hold of me and give birth within me, then I know that actually sin results in a death, not only in me, but a death in my relationship with the living God. 
Because sin pollutes us and captures us. And there he's saying, don't be caught like a bird in a snare. Do not be caught like a fish in a net. Do not be lured into the trap and taken captive and then take the bait. Reject the bait. And how, but you might say, well, how does one do this? Then the desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth what? Death. Does it just mean physical death? It can be a death of a marriage. It can be death of a business. It can be death of a friendship. It can be a death. It can be a death. And we have to be so careful. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, that's Adam. The good news is, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. It's not just bad news. It's good news. We are made righteous. We are made righteous, not because of what we do, not because of how holy I am, not because God, all my sinfulness, all my brokenness, all my pain. God loves me as he couldn't love me anymore. He loves me the same way he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. The way the father loves the son is the way that the son loves us and we are loved by the father. So don't get yourself all down. I'm a terrible sinner. Yes, you are. No offense. And yes, we are. We are unrighteous. We are depraved. We are broken. We are unrighteous. But it is by the great love of God that my unrighteousness has been replaced with his righteousness. And I am forgiven. But then you go, yeah, I like that, Phil. I like it. But why am I such a sinner? Because I know I'm righteous, but I'm sometimes bad. If you were in my brain, you might not even let me in this church. If you could see some things that I think about, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like me. I know you like me at the door and you give me a hug. And you wave, but you wouldn't like me. I think I still would, by the way, because we're all in the same boat. The, the war has been won on the cross. But after a war and the victories happen, it's often the battlefield of our lives that needs cleaning up. That's why we battle. 
And how do we clean our lives up? Well, we clean our lives up through confession. We clean our lives up through awareness. We clean our lives up through taking every thought captive. We clean up our lives by saying, these are my values and this is what Jesus wants from me. And I choose and I confess and I break these strongholds. I break these thought patterns. I break these maladjusted things in my brain that make me think ridiculous, stupid thoughts that take me down emotions of resentment. I choose now with the Lord to become aware of what's going on within my brain, what's going on within my heart. And I bring it and I submit it and I give it over to God. And as you say, I allow you to renew my mind. I take every thought captive, whatever is noble, whatever is good, whatever is noteworthy, whatever is exalted, whatever is glorious, whatever is wonderful. Meditate on such things, right? That was a mashup of loads of versions. But a bit of message in there, a bit of King James in there, a bit of living Bible. I've memorized it in so many different ways. It's just like Think about things that are awesome. Do not think about things that will lead you to sin and death and bind you up. God's blessed us, you know. God's given us the ability to be able to think and observe. And look, this is a great... This is a, This is my birthday. I'm going to take this home and put it on my Chinese table. (laughs) But our thoughts are like uh, this, like a balloon. I was going to bring another visual object this morning, a big lure, but uh, I forgot it. And then I was thinking, and then I didn't get to see Curtis because I thought, he's the man that has lures in his car. Am I right or wrong? I'm wrong. Okay. Our thoughts are like this. But God, often what we th- the mistake we make is we think that the way we think defines who we are. It's, the way you think does not define who you are. Because you've learned bad thoughts, maladjusted thoughts, difficult thoughts, patterns throughout your life that all of a sudden they pop up and you don't know where they come from, but boom, they appear, right? You go, what do I think that? That's ridiculous. I'm such a terrible person. But God has given us the ability, first of all, to step back and look at our thoughts. Be aware of them. Know that that thought is actually unhelpful to me. Am I really going to go and do that? If I go and do that, that's going to ruin my life. It's going to mess my kids up. It's going to do that. That thought. And God has given us the ability in our heart to look at thoughts and take every thought captive and say, no, that does not define who I am. I am defined by my status in God. Therefore, Lord, I bring you that thought. But so often we think that just because we think it, that's who we are. Therefore, it can control us. No, you can know the power of Christ driving your mind, driving your bus, driving your life. And you can choose to reject it. You can choose to say no to that thought. You can choose... It's such a shame that this is such a beautiful balloon. 
Because it could be like, it's happy birthday, Pastor Phil. You're amazing. That's what it says on this. No. But we can look at it. We can say no. We can be aware of it. And then how do I deal with this thought? Well, I deal with it with confession. I deal with it precisely. I deal with it by ruminating and meditating, contemplating on other scriptures that address that problem and bring the authority of the word of God into my mind. And I memorize scripture. And when I feel angry, I bring up that scripture about anger. And I tell myself, I speak to myself, I say to myself that I am not that thought and I'm not giving into that temptation and I choose to live a holy life by the power of God. That is exactly what James is trying to communicate to his flock. He's saying to them, for as by the one man's disobedience, yes, we know that, many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You are righteous. Can't take that away. But you are also being made righteous. You are being sanctified. You are being changed. And it comes down to this, friends. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Literally, you can take those thoughts and you can nail them to the cross. And you can look at them and say they are under the blood of Jesus. And Jesus, I allow you to change my life. I will not give in to temptation. I will live differently. So freeing when we think... when. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, about giving yourself as a living sacrifice and renewing of your mind and transforming the way that you think. When you think about taking every thought captive, when you think about meditating on all those wonderful, noble, exalted, wonderful, excellent things, we can see our lives. And James wants us, in the power of Christ, to not blame everybody else, but be aware of ourselves and take control of our sinful nature. And it works the same way around. You conceive a thought of faith. You give birth to a blessing. And what happens? Life. Life. God wants you to live in life. And he wants us to have victory over temptations. So confess, memorize, be aware of yourself, capture those thoughts, get rid of them. And when they come back again, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. At this part, I'd love a pin. <laughs> That'd be a great end to the sermon, wouldn't it? Let's stand together.
Thank you, Lord, that you so encourage us through our dear friend James. Help us, Lord, to seek wisdom in our life. Help us, Lord. I know for so many of us, we've had to struggle with our own past. The way we were raised, things that were said to us. The chaos and the pain we may have experienced. But Lord, I thank you that you're aware of that and we're aware of it. And that we can bring all of our brokenness. We can bring all of our battles. We can choose to resist temptation. Even as you did, Lord Jesus Christ. As you resisted the work of the enemy. When you said man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mount of God. By every rhema word that comes from the mouth of God. That means every word that God speaks to you in your middle of your temptation, God will speak and speak and speak to you. Believe him now. Believe him. That God will speak to you a word in season for whatever you're going through. And we'll be with you. And I pray, Lord, that today from the teaching will free us all to renew our minds. To not be lured by shiny, bright things. To not be captured in our thoughts. But be live as free people. Jesus people. People full of goodness and full of love and full of life. Thank you that you have saved us, Lord. And I choose to die to myself. I choose to die and crucify all that is of ego and flesh and lay it down again and again on that cross. In Jesus' name. Amen. We always have prayer at the end of the service. I'm going to invite the prayer team and um, elders and different ones just to be present. They've got oil. You can come about any issue and anything you may be facing. But as we finish, let's, um, let's worship together. What song are we singing? Where I'm standing now. That seems very appropriate. Where I'm standing now.